Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Joined by Matt Till, Michael, our resident ephesiologist. I'm Andrew Johnson, down in the Houstonian sprawl. Uh, it's still warm here. How's your guys' weather? Cold. Winter. It, yeah, but no snow, which is a bummer. It's always a bummer. But uh, Michael, I really, really appreciate your beard. Thank you for growing it. Keep it as long as possible. It is fantastic. It's going for the Santa Claus look. I love it. it. Well, it is Christmas time. It is Christmas time. As the recording from the recording of this podcast, we're 22 days away from Christmas. All right. Well, now that we've located ourselves of how long it takes for our recordings to hit the air. Sorry, everybody. In the Uh, space continuum of podcasts. Seriously. Well, no, here's the funny thing for here's the funny thing for our listeners. There was a time when we took this so seriously that if we were to record two podcasts in a single day, we would actually change shirts. Do you remember that? Because <laughs> we were, we, we that, thought the video, we thought people were watching the video yeah, more. Yeah. Thought they don't like looking at our ugly mugs, which who can blame them? So right. now that we know the video is not as much of a component, Michael grew out radio, his beard. Radio killed the video star. Hey, I'm wearing my Santa hat. Although I do that all the time in December and we're okay with you not looking at us. But anyway, you did not turn into an audio thing to hear us talk about how we look. That would be vain. Uh, we left off our We've last that podcast. Point of no return now. Uh, you're so vain. Um, nope, not going to make the joke. So the last time we were on this podcast, we were talking about the dark side of hierarchical leadership. And in episode one of this topic, we talked a lot about the theological underpinnings that I should more say, observing what we do in the Bible about who Jesus is and how the Trinity functions, and thus how we should take that into our everyday lives. But we didn't get to the praxis point. And so we wanted to spend some time on this podcast talking about how that worked itself out. But before we get there, before we get there, this uh, blog post that Michael wrote, uh, it has hit the interwebs. We are actually nearing almost 9,000 views of this podcast. Nope, the blog. Um, And a lot of people have been engaging on it. And many people who engaged on this said, Michael, we appreciate where you're coming from, but we're confused because it sounds like you're talking against the type of leadership instructed in Hebrews 13. So Matt, I'm going to kick it to you. Can you read at least a few of those key verses so that our listeners can kind of jump into the conversation with us? Yeah. So, and Andrew, I'm glad that you brought this up because we are getting a lot of people having great conversation and engaging with the, with Michael's blog and, and of course, asking some appropriate questions and things that he didn't necessarily fully address, nor did he intend to in in the post, but rather got the conversation started. But let's talk about that Hebrews 13. 
Um, because in Hebrews 13, 17, there seems to be this clear directive. And so, Michael, we should now, we'll turn it over to you to, to explain it. But it, it simply says this, in the ESV, it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. So uh, most of us who grow, who are in like some sort of evangelical leaning church have probably heard this passage used oftentimes and then is used to talk about the, the hierarchy of leadership and God's ordination on leadership. Let me just read the whole verse. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So um, it sounds like, and honestly, from a pessimistic, just straight up reading of Hebrews 13, 17, this kind of comes across as being this groaning, like <laughs> from a leadership you know, a position, like, um, man, will you people just listen and obey to your leaders and just quickly- You guys are the time? worst. They're the worst. Don't you understand how uh. hard we work, you know? And and honestly, um, well, Michael, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going <laughs> to vamp too much on this, but why don't you talk about the passage? Let's just look at this objectively, theologically. What are some of the problems of reading this directly in the way that it sounds? Or are we doing uh, hermeneutic gymnastics when we try to dismiss the passage? Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's a beautiful passage and we have to take it in context, of course. And and I want to say, you know what? I love doing theology and community. So I, I have just been so excited about the interaction over this blog and I've tried to interact with as many people as I, I could, um, uh, given the, the time. But that just, I, I, I learned so much from what people are thinking about these different things. And this is one of those passages because it came up a couple of times in different people's responses that they, they would say, you know, how do you work that out? It, it seems clear that there's authority here because we're to obey the, our leaders and submit to them. But as I mentioned, we need to put this into context. And the context of Hebrews 13 starts in, in or for this particular passage, starts, of course, in verse 7. And uh, the writer, of course, we don't know who it is. Uh, <laughs> Andrew's vote is Barnabas. Uh, mine and Andrew's vote are, uh, is uh, Priscilla. Um, others have suggested early on uh, that it was Paul. Some have suggested that it's Apollos. We don't know who the person was. We do know, though, as our listeners will recall, that there's a connection with Ephesus because Timothy is mentioned in Hebrews uh, uh, 13 as well as having been released from prison and, and returning to uh, the church. And more than likely, he's going back to the church in Ephesus. So there's some connection between the Hebrew writer and, and the church in Ephesus. But that being said, in verse 7, the writer begins, remember your leaders, who those who uh, spoke to you the word of God. Consider their outcome of the way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And then the writer continues and uh, they give some Old Testament uh, references and so on. But those two verses are so interesting because the writer is telling us that those leaders that were to follow were to imitate their faith. Now, the, the word here for leader is the word uh, from which we get our English word, a word hegemony. It's something that uh, it means that something somebody has something over somebody else, um, an authority over somebody else. 
And it, so this is not necessarily an elder or a deacon or a bishop. We don't really know who the writer of uh, Hebrews is talking about when he uses this or she uses this term leader. But we do know that whoever that person is, we are to follow or to imitate their faith. And then the writer goes right into this kind of um, almost out of the blue verse uh, about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we connect those things, those thoughts together, what we're seeing is that this is a leader who imitated Christ. Therefore, we are to imitate him or her. Uh, Again, we don't know who this person is, the writer is. And so that's critical, I think, in understanding uh, verse 17, because in verse 17, then, uh, we have an interesting translation uh, problem with uh, that verse as it begins, obey your leader and submit to them. Uh, the word obey in Greek is, is uh, patho, patho. Um, and it can mean have confidence in or uh, be persuaded by or trust, or it can mean sure. It's used in the New Testament. Uh, I think, I'm sorry? To corrupt as well. To, oh, to corrupt. Um, it's used in the New Testament, I think 52 times or maybe 54. I can't remember exactly, but uh, only four times is it translated obey. And so what that tells us is that there's a lexical range to the understanding of this word. And it, it uh, would appear then that we have to decide which word is going to fit the context best. Now, remember, the context is that these are imitators who, uh, I'm sorry, these are leaders who are imitating Jesus. And because they're imitating Jesus, we should uh, follow them. We should imitate their faith. That's the and best so, imitation possible. The best imitation possible. And, you know, the interesting thing here is that this is what discipleship meant. Discipleship meant not just, it wasn't just a cognitive exercise, but it was a behavioral exercise. You you uh, not only learned intellectually or uh, in terms of your beliefs, what it is that a disciple believes, but you were to emulate your discipler. And, uh, and, and that's, that, again, I think is key to understanding Hebrews 13. And so when I look at verse 17, I, my preference is to translate it that rather than obey, uh, to have confidence in your leader, to have confidence in your leaders and submit to them. Uh, the, the NIV, I think, gets this right. And I'm not a big NIV fan, but uh, I do think the NIV gets this right here in its translation, because it it translates it, have confidence in your leaders. And that gets at the heart of imitation. In other words, the Hebrew writer, I believe, is saying, look, these leaders are imitating Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Imitate their faith. Have confidence that they are imitating Jesus and be like them, submit to them. Um, and, uh, and, and so, I, I, again, I think that's so important for us to understand. Now, that being said, um, as we've talked about in the last podcast, uh, this does not necessarily mean hierarchy. 
it it means if anything um a a discipleship relationship with people and i think that that fits better the context of the hebrew writer and of the first century and of the notion that we talked about in in regards to the trinity the the co-equality of the trinity the mutual submission of the godhead uh, that fits beautifully here to give us this wonderful picture of a disciple maker this leader who is imitating Jesus who is unchanging and we are called then to imitate that same life okay so if then we look at Hebrews 13 and we understand that to point us forward have confidence in your leaders who have their eyes focused on the author and the perfecter of their faith, that they are going to model Christ in their life and in ministry, have confidence in that, uh, reflect that, be like them. Okay, Michael, that's great. So how do we do that then today? What is the praxis? How do we take this idea of mutual submission that we see modeled in the Trinity How do we translate that into an organizational structure that actually uh, operates as a healthy church in our society today? What are some, I want to kick it to both of you and just get some ideas from you. What might that look like? Well, I I, want to hear Matt on this because I'm going to sound like a broken record, uh, to be honest, because I always go back then to 2 Timothy and look at Paul's life and who he was in terms of his relationship with Timothy. And the beautiful thing that we see in Paul and Timothy's relationship is that Paul always identified himself with Timothy. It was never you and me. It was us. We're in this together. And that is so critical in our relationships in our with our disciples, as well as in uh, the context of our churches. Mm-hmm. And so Paul just, it's such a beautiful model of this mutual submission to one another. Um, Even though, I mean, he rightly has authority, doesn't he? Um, he, He's given, I mean, Jesus himself meets with Paul and gives him this authority, but he doesn't lord it over anyone. Instead, he comes alongside and identifies with them uh, in in this ministry of mutual submission and uh, and calls people uh, to proclaim the gospel. He calls them to endure hardship because, again, we're in this together. It's not you alone. It's not me alone. It, we are in this together. He empowers people. He releases people. He's not holding on to any type of authority. It's just the opposite. He's releasing it, and he's saying, Timothy, use those gifts. Fan into flame the gift that God has given you, and uh, use that in ministry. So he's empowering people, and he's entrusting people. Um, he's, he's given Timothy a huge task to make disciples who will make disciples, who will make more disciples and more disciples. And so he's entrusted Timothy with that as well. And so, you know, I always go back to that empowerment, entrusting, inspiring, uh, and, and reminding to proclaim them the gospel. Hmm. I think that's the very practical thing a leader does. 
I love that picture of Paul and Timothy, um, Michael, and just that connectedness. Like we're in this together. Um, it's obviously something that we speak about. We we try to try to communicate. We think it's this idea of mutual submission is clearly there in the scriptures, but just to just to really take note of that in that relationship as we see it written out through the epistles, um, I think is really dynamic. I also re- recall um, Paul frequently, especially to the uh, the church in Corinth, is off often touting his own authority, his own privilege, his own willingness to say, "Listen, you want you want to talk about authority? You want to talk about a hierarchy? I have every right to bring the hammer down on you." <laughs> <laughs> and to wield that sword of authority, but I don't, mm. and I'm not going to. Instead, I'm calling you to live by our example. Mm. Live by the example that we left you. Live by the example that we called you to. That's yeah, so and powerful. I, it is powerful, and I think it only affirms uh, the argument that you're making from Hebrews 13. And and I think it's a great place to be because um, I got two thoughts on this. One and they sound a bit disconnected, but I think it all kind of wraps up a little bit, or at least comes together, is when you talk about flat leadership and you talk about non-hierarchical, um, it, it's not a, there's a movement today against authority. There's a movement today to tear down authority structures. Fight the power. Right. And, and, and we're, we, we are not advocating that. We're not advocating a destruction of authority, and in, in especially even when it comes within the, the church, but we are advocating a better way. And we're mm-hmm. advocating really the, the way that we see prescribed and given to us and described at least in the scriptures. So we have to hold that intention because I think a lot of this language sounds like it's anti-authority. Um, and so we have to kind of hold that intention. The other side to this is this, this notion of... I think if you were to ask pastors and just be real practical and many of we are pastors, um, you talk, we talk to other pastors, the, the system that they're in and working in for most it's unless they are at the very top and have the keys to the kingdom uh, within their own church context. And they are surrounded by yes, men apart from those most know that, it's not really working for them or their, uh, or their congregants. Mm-hmm. And I think if we just talk brass tacks. Another message about your authority from Hebrews 13 as being uh, the way that everyone else needs to fall in line and carry the vision, you know, is only going to backfire on you. And if anything, if the events of 2020 have only shown us, that will not only backfire, but it will actually divide and tear down further. Mm-hmm. And is not the heart of Jesus. It's not the heart of the gospel, but rather there is a better way. And so I think when you study this, and this has been a part of my own journey, is that when you kind of lean into this and you see from the theological arguments that we we're uh, attempting to make, uh, at least in last week's episode, not how effectively we did that, but whatever it's worth, when you dig into it a little deeper, you realize there's a freedom here for the person who's in the position and role as church leader. Yeah. Yeah. And and I oh. think this is freeing. It, this is a live by example and show people the way. But when we are convinced that we must maintain some sort of level of power and position and authority over others, 
And if we feel like we are responsible, fully responsible for the spiritual welfare of another, which some would claim that this passage would would uh, would protect and and reinforce, which it does not. And when you feel like um, your your income, your paycheck <laughs> is contingent upon the the continuing of people showing up week after week and emptying their pocketbooks for your ministry, the stress, the anxiety, and the fall that comes after that which is what the heart of Michael's blog post was, is that this has become a destructive model, not just to the church, but to individuals, mm-hmm. to the pastors, to the, to the leaders of the church, and to the members of the church. This is, this is a cancer within the church, and it must be addressed. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it's interesting, too, because what, what the cancer tends to be is a willingness to let somebody else uh, do some of the things that you should be doing. And I say that in that we are all given the role and the responsibility to do the the three things that Michael talks about in his latest book. We are to be about the proclamation of the gospel. We are to be about uh, the, so there's the declaration of the gospel, there's the defense of the gospel, and then there's the practice of the gospel, um, actually going out and um, being Christ to those who are are abused and oppressed, and uh, some might Boy, I like say that that's called that. I I've actually put that a few different ways. So um, I'm trademarking it for myself. You wrote the book, <laughs> but I came up with the shorter phrase, so I went. I like it. Um, I like it. I'm going to use it. But I'll anyway, yeah, yeah, for- yeah. It's um, <laughs> because I think that's what makes sense. Is this is this is about gospel practice? Like we have got to be out mm-hmm. there, and so. Matt, I wanted to jump on what you're saying. Can I put a pin right there for a moment, Andrew? Because you just hit on something that I think is scary to people. Uh, I think it's scary to an elder to be able to stand up and say, follow me. Do the things that I'm doing because I'm doing what Christ would want me to do. And that's scary for me. And it should be scary for all of us because it makes us examine ourselves. Are we really imitating Jesus like Jesus wants us to imitate him. And that is a, that is a humbling thought. And so I think, uh, you know, the way that uh, in many, many contexts today, that uh, a lot of people would be hard pressed to say that they are proclaiming the gospel, that they are defending uh, the faith, that they are acting out uh, the gospel in their lives in such a way that they could say, like Paul said, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. It's easier to say, I read my Bible, I pray every day, I show up at church, I serve in a ministry, I lead a small group, and I sit on a board and make financial and organizational leadership decisions than it is to do the things that you just described. Hmm. That's the heart of discipleship. Yeah, now, if right, wants exactly. To, uh, if somebody wants to, they could go on to a physiology master classes, and very shortly there will be an identity-based discipleship class that you can participate in that hits this in a very dramatic way because Michael and I, at least I can vouch for myself here, talk a lot about being precedes doing. Identity-based mm-hmm. discipleship is about who you are. It is not just the, te- the checklist mentality of our faith. Just like Matt said, I read my, I read my Bible today. You know, I, I've done my good things, checkbox. It's about who you are. 
It's about being. It has to be about being. Anyway, I think I'm going far afield from what I was trying to get towards. Right, which is led to you say, astray. Well, eh, Michael, you have so led me astray. Um, but I want to actually say, I think that there, when when this goes poorly, and I'm not going to name names because I, I'm not trying to throw somebody under the bus or or smear their name and say they screwed it up. I think a lot of people sometimes are all too willing to continue to give power, uh, to continue to give control to the people who are trying mm-hmm. to gobble it up. Because in a way, it's like, well, good. I'm glad they're running things. They're doing these things. I'm so glad that they're doing that because in a way, I don't have to. And that is actually really, really poor leadership And because that's poor discipleship. We are abdicating to somebody else something that actually still is ours to do. And it has been given to us to run and be faithful with. And we've been content to let other people run with it. And so big surprise when people, they fall miserably because they were under a weight and a pressure that they were never supposed to carry. They were never supposed to have that much power, control, money, insert the too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, People crumble under it. And we as believers, I'm again, I'm not saying let's throw, let's throw stones at them or let's drag their names through the mud. Let's do our part as the church and continue to empower and to equip people to do the works of ministry that we have been given so that the ministry that we are doing is faithful and it is effective. I, I, I want to launch into this only to say, I am very grateful for uh, my boss and friend, uh, Russell Cravens, and uh, the people that started Neartown Church, because we tried from the beginning, and then myself joining partway through, you know, to refer to the people who are a part of Neartown as mission partners. And we are all in this together. And we are all about Christ's mission that he has called us to. And Russell's running his part. He's playing his part. Part of his part in the mission is to be that lead pastor, but it doesn't make him more important than everybody else. We're continuing to preach day in, day out to encourage our people, go and be out in ministry, continue to disciple, to love again, to be the disciples that Christ has called you to be in Houston. I don't think we're always perfect at that, but I want us to actually think about when we're doing ministry, um, to not think of that top-down leadership model, that hierarchical pyramid-type view, but to knock that pyramid down, right? I'll say triangle because pyramid would stand up and it wouldn't fall over. We'll say the triangle, and then we'll knock it down flat. I would rather us almost look at um, the spread of the gospel. I don't want to say like the spread of the virus because this is COVID season, and we all hate that. So the spread of good information. And we have this great idea. The person who started that great idea, they don't then have control or more power than people who are two, three, or four in generations downstream of that information. It's not about authority. It's just, I know what's good and I want to make sure you know it. And now let's play our part in helping the world know what is good as we are practicing the gospel as we are defending the gospel as we are declaring the gospel this is what a healthy praxis i think looks like yeah i i'm with you and i i think that 
Andrew, you just, you know, articulated really well, a, a vision for um, any member of any church and their role and their responsibility to the ongoing work of personal discipleship, but also corporate discipleship within the church and beyond in evangelism. And, you know, so often I think we're, we forget that we are conditioned from birth. The, I, I'm convinced that the first language we speak is not our tongue language, but rather a, a, a heart one. And that is consumerism. It's individualism. It is, uh, we are designed, uh, not designed, I'm going to take that back. Uh, we, we are conditioned from beginning, from birth to receive, to have programs and things produced for us. We consume products, we consume media, we consume information. Uh, we apply knowledge, absolutely. Uh, that's the purpose of education and, and other things within just the bounds of our humanity. But so much of what we do is, is, framed in a consumer driven way. And I think that just naturally has just influences the way in which we interact in this world and how the church is, is interacted with, with the world is that it is also taken on consumerism mindsets and that we are a product in, to sell and we are an entertainment source and a place where you come for information and for personal fulfillment. And by the way, you know, uh, we're going to teach you the gospel here and what we find is that the gospel is radically opposed to the very things that we often win somebody in with, you know, for winning them in with gift cards and, 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 a, and, a, and a, a really like healthy and wealthy looking, you know, preacher who's well-spoken and seems to just have information about everything, you know, um, that all of a sudden becomes the expectation, um, you know, of, of like, this is why I want to be here. Cause I want to be like this guy one day, you know? Um, and most people don't articulate that, but underneath it all, that's kind of why they're there, you know? And so I, I think that we have to really rethink, we have to understand and culturally uh, exegete our own, our own society, our own selves and our own humanity and what we're dealing with and being conditioned with. Um, and, and I think that the solution to this is uh, a, a lot of this is in Michael start talking about this. Cause I know this is where we want to get, cause we want to talk about praxis is our friend um, Alan Hirsch has done a lot of work in APEST. And, and I think that this seems to be probably one of the main fundamental changes that we need to think about as how do we begin to make this a practical application. So we're not talking about a unicorn here. We're not talking about some fantasy land, some utopia that doesn't exist. Um, but rather, there's actually a bit of a prescription given to us that maybe we've kind of ignored along the way. Yeah, and prescription, I think, is the right word for this, because what we read in Ephesians 4.11 uh, that Jesus himself has given some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as shepherds and teachers, is is prescribed. Um, it, it's in essence the DNA of the church, and uh, and we've we've lost a lot of that, uh, and we recognize that we've lost a lot of that, and we've become more pastor centric. And we've talked about this. We talked about this in the last podcast, and we've talked about it before. But what happens when we become pastor-centric is that we lose the opportunity of these other gifts really coming alongside of that shepherd and empowering and equipping saints for the works of service. And what typically happens, and I see this all the time when I uh, speak with people, is that uh, when they begin to think of themselves and their gifting, they, they will more often take on the characteristics of the people that they're following. And so what we're seeing in the pastor-centric church 
is the perpetuation of more and more pastors, you know, guys and gals going to seminary and, and so on, wanting to be a pastor. When uh, we need to see a broadening of this DNA of Jesus's church to include apostles, prophets, evangelists, and, and teachers. Um, and, and we've got to get there for the church to be like the New Testament and uh, to function in a way that will result in more and more people that being pushed out into ministry, empowered and entrusted and, uh, and inspired and reminded to preach. If that's going to happen, we have to do this on a team level. And so that's what, when we talk about flat leadership or non-hierarchical leadership, that's it. We're talking about it in two ways. One is that there is this APEST model, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, that they are co-equals. There's not one over the other in this model, but they are equally charged with equipping the saints. And, uh, and they have to equally function as equippers of the saints, uh, not one over the other. And then, and then we also talk about flat leadership in terms of the rest of us, the priesthood of the believers, that we function as the body of Christ. And as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, there's not one gift that's more important than the other. Um, it, these aren't orders of importance when he says, well, first our apostles and second are so on. Uh, but he talks about the body of Christ. And it's in that context, then, that he gives us these specific, uh, gifts that we function as a body. And so no one can say to the foot that you're not important or to the eye that you're no longer important uh, because we need each other. And so that's a flat leadership. We have different roles, different functions, but we are equally needed. We, we uh, mutually submit to each other. And we fulfill the things that God has equipped us to do. And, and being empowered by our leaders, we're given the freedom to go and to do these things that Andrew mentioned uh, so beautifully a moment ago, those three areas of, of ministry. Okay, so then how does APEST work organizationally speaking? And I keep using the word organization because I'm a part of a church and that's kind of how my brain is working right now. And... So, so like when you look at the APES model, so who's responsible for cleaning the toilets? Is that, is that the evangelist? Are we going to make sure always that the evangelist right. always is cleaning the you. toilets? Yeah. Um, well, does that yeah, I mean, mean that, uh, that, you know, since the messenger is the one that delivers the word, does that mean they're the ones that pick up the mail? Like, what are some of the, how does this go down to, as Matt mentioned earlier, but the brass tacks of it? How does APEST work in an organizational way so that the church is continuing to do some of the roles that they need to do while also uh, meeting the functions of faithfully living out the, the call that God's given us? Yeah, that, and that's the challenge that we have to work out these things in our contexts today. Um, of course, in the first century, they're not addressing issues of facilities and uh, those types of things because they're primarily meeting in homes of uh, believers and they're gathering in those places. There might've been an occasional larger gathering, but we're not talking about the need to clean up trash or you know, clean the, the, the restrooms or whatever. Let, let's uh, not to, get lost on those details. I was being a little facetious, but, but I am trying to no, say- No, no, the plumbing is the... very important. The plumbing <laughs> is important. We should yeah. really discuss this. 
But I, I'm just saying, you know, again, when you talk about a pest, it sounds great on paper. And I am in love with what Alan Hirsch has said. But then how do we how do we go about making that a reality in an organization that is has been running for you know decades perhaps? Yeah, I think we do it in two ways. Uh, one is first we need to concentrate on people. Ministry is about people. It's about relationships with people. And we need to be sure that as who we are, as the leaders that we are, that we're equipping those people uh, to do works of ministry. Um, We also, at the same time, need to be identifying within our own community, who are these apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and begin to uh, gather them together to think about, well, what does it now look like for us to empower everybody else and equip them for works of ministry? Uh, we have descriptions of each of these uh, leaders on the physiology website. If you go simply to, I think it's just a physiology.com uh, slash leadership, you'll see a list of all of those leaders. Uh, Alan and, uh, has been very gracious uh, working with us and provided for us uh, what he's done in this area. So those are all available for you to, uh, on our website. And that will help you to think in terms of uh, who these people are, who I am. Um, and so I would, and I've been doing this with uh, folks that I work with is just giving them those lists and, and saying, you know, what best describes you? And then these types of gifts are always uh, affirmed in community. And so we should be looking for other people to come alongside of us and say, you know what, I see that in you. I see that you have this apostle gifting or prophetic gifting and so forth. So that that, that those would be uh, kind of point one A and B. Uh, be sure that we're empowering others. Be sure that we're identifying who those apests are. The, the second part of that then is what you're talking about in terms of the contemporary uh, organizational uh, issues within a church. And you know what, to be honest, um, if you get this first part right, I think that part's going to take care of itself. doesn't mean it's not going to require some sort of organization to take care of. But if you, if we can genuinely build into people, uh, empower and trust, inspire, remind them uh, of their ministry, then, uh, then they're going to see more value in that, uh, in coming alongside and meeting some of the needs of the organization. It could mean, you know, I um, we haven't had Heath Haynes on for a while. We should get Heath back on and hear what he's doing. But um, I, I know they pushed out their leadership to small groups, and uh, and I think they continue to have some corporate uh, gatherings, or or maybe they haven't. I don't know, Andrew. You would know. But um, but it might come to the point that we see, you know what, we can function as the body of Christ in a different way now. And, uh, and that might not be a, a bad thing to begin to consider and ask ourselves those questions. You know, what really is necessary in our organization uh, that we can't achieve within, you know, this, this uh, pushing out of leadership uh, to uh, others. It seems to me as well that when we are looking at the overall narrative and do biblical theology through the New Testament, 
we're seeing often what's happening. And for example, when the, the first deacons were appointed in Acts, we see that the, the goal was, you know, to serve tables. It, it's not just, you know, the deacon is, is job is just to serve tables. It was the, that was the need and the moment, right? They were, they were asking and inviting people into leadership, into ways to say, let's serve those who need to be served. They were just simply addressing the needs at the time as the organization or as the ecclesia, as the family, the body of Christ grew, of course, the needs grew. And so they're addressing the actual issues of its day as it's scaled to use modern day language. Um, Paul as well. I mean, even when he's referring back to his, the Jerusalem council and Galatians, he's, he talks about, you know, the one thing that they asked me to do, uh, in return mm -hmm. is to make sure to remember the poor. And I've been eager to do that. So we're going to keep doing that. And so everything was kind of geared towards apostolic, uh, ministry of the word, serving the poor, right. And in, of course, evangelism and building up the body of Christ. And then of course, protecting from, you know, false teachers and heresies, right? And that was just kind of the role of the elders, those who were were either seasoned in in and steeped in the ministry of Jesus or had just really good or filled with the Holy Spirit and had been really trained really well, or at least those who had been, you know, around for some time, just true elders of of the faith and elders of the community. And so I just think if we kind of look at this from a back, you know, just kind of back it up a little bit and look at it from a real community kind of setting um you know we're just in western america i mean we're we're just everything's consumer driven everything's about uh our getting in our cars and and commuting to work although not this year um you know but <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know but i i think that we just we have a different thought process that we kind of import into that scriptures and when we import into looking at leadership structures that we're trying to find things that just really aren't there. And we can just kind of forget the basics of it. And um, unfortunately it requires us to re-envision how we run church, how we organize ourselves as a body of Christ. And it requires trust. It requires a common vision and goal towards the future and, and submission to one another that we're all in this together. And we've been hearing that a lot in 2020. We're in this together. We're in this together. Well, the reality is when you turn on the news, and you open up Facebook, mm -hmm. we're not in this together. I mean, that, that has been as mm -hmm. clear as day. And even the fact that we're having this discussion about the church and leadership is we're not in this together because there's some people on the side that say, here's the way it is. And the other ones, the other side saying, here's the way it is. We're not in this together as much as we want to say that we are or that we pretend that we are. We really need a shared vision of hope into the future. What does that tell us? What is that end goal? that uh, the, the better life to come in the kingdom of God that we are really being called to, because when we have that shared vision of the future and bringing God glory, Michael Cooper, mm. um, then, then we can actually work together because now we can trust one another. We can listen to one another. We can reason together with one another. But apart from that, if we're, if we're shooting for two different end goals, then we're just going to keep separating ourselves and go our different ways and power and authority structures will replace what we can't do together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think what's one of the things that Michael touched on in the article, you know, he was talking about the frustration he has and that sometimes we share in what is seen as the Western church model. And that so many who are not in the Western church are trying to adopt our model and take it over to another place. And it doesn't work because it's apples 
and oranges. I would contend, and I kind of want to wrap up here, I would contend there's also a difficulty of saying whatever works for Michael and his church where they're working and whatever works for Matt and his church where they are, I'm not supposed to just say, well, Michael said it and it sounds really good and it seems to be working. So I'm going to go carbon copy and then take it to here and we're going to apply it in Houston because it may not work. That's apples and oranges still yet. The type of things that we're talking about is to keep our eyes and our faith centered on that common goal that Christ has given us. And then with that in mind, lean on the Holy Spirit to faithfully work that out through our giftings where we are. And it's going to look different and it's going to be potentially messy because Michael thinks that Jesus doesn't like structure. I'm kidding. Um, but um, there <laughs> is going that. to, there, I know, and I'm being playful, but I, I do believe when we're listening to the Holy Spirit, it isn't going to always be so cookie cutter mm-hmm. lifestyle. The church is going to be a bit different. But when we operate within the gifts that He has given us in leadership through what we're talking about with APEST, then there is a way forward for us to continue to live faithfully to God's glory and to continue to pursue him. Uh, before I land this plane, Matt, Michael, do you have any other parting shots? Oh, you know, what? I think you wrapped up just beautifully, Andrew. I, um, I'm encouraged by that. And I well, think we have good. some tracks to run on. Yes, we do. And we invite you, our listeners, to run on some of those tracks. We really want you to be a part of this growing Ephesiology global community. So um, I don't know who you are. Perhaps you're an academic, you're a pastor, you're a church planter, a leader, a mentor, or simply a spirit-filled Christian who has a desire for God's mission in the world. We've got a seat at the table for you. Um, There are multiple ways that you can be a part of the Ephesiology community. I'm going to highlight the fact that we talked about Um, some things on our podcast because people interacted with us on Facebook. If you want to get in on these conversations, just go to Facebook, type in Ephesiology and join in that conversation. Also, uh, just simply subscribe to this podcast, leave that five-star rating, share it with others and say, I want you to join in thinking through these things with me. It's great fodder for you your family, your church, your leadership. Just have fun with this. Lastly, go over to ephesiology.com. There you can sign up for free exclusive content delivered from us into your email, as well as get more information on Ephesiology Masterclasses and how you might continue to grow in your theological education and missiological preparedness through some of our amazing teachers. I am so glad that you have sat in with us today. So for myself, for Michael and Matt, thanks for doing Theology and Community on the Ephesiology Podcast.